Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Unknowingly, Bobby McFerrin wrote and sang about biblical truth. Because as we're going to see this morning, the, the, the key to, to happiness, the key to fulfillment is living worry-free. And if we can live worry-free, and we're going to see how to do that uh, as, as the Lord unfolds the scripture to us today. We're going, we're going to see, though, that happiness and fulfillment are intertwined in our ability to lay aside the things that cause us to worry. And the things that, that frustrate us or give us anxiety. Um, this text today in, in the sixth chapter, if you want to turn there, of Matthew, this text is, um, uh, as we continue this series on the Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> this text is, as many have been in the past, and we've looked the last several weeks, is very pointed, very specific, very very to the point, and, and, and pretty much in your face. And it, as he deals with this morning treasure and worry, I want us to look at that in, in, in more more or less an opposite light because the key to treasure is focus and the key to living worry-free is fulfillment. And I want us to see what he says to us around those two ideas here in this passage. Let's read together these verses beginning in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is within you is is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can be a loyal servant to two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot faithfully serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying at a single hour, to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet... I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. <laughs> Can I get an amen to that last verse? <laughs> That's true. Now, in this idea of focus, <clears throat> I want us to see, first of all, that focus is a matter of where we're looking. Duh. 
It is. It's a matter of where we're looking, where we're faced. Look at verses 19 to 21. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and, and, and rust destroy. Thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth, do not, uh, moth uh, and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, what's happening here is God wants us to see life here and now through an eternal lens. That's hard in our culture because our culture paints a picture for us that there is this sense of immediacy, and there is. I mean, you, anything you watch on TV is solved in 30 minutes or an hour. Any, anything that you, you, you typically would buy now is, for the most part, disposable. I mean, just think things are designed not to last very long. And so we're, we're living and growing up, and, and, and kids are growing up in this, in this culture of disposability and, and immediate return on our investment of time or talent or treasure or whatever else. It's difficult to get people to see through an eternal lens now. Now, we can sit in church and talk about that or in Bible study and talk about that. So, you know, it's, we, need to, we need to really sow, up for, sow, sow some treasure in heaven so that we're not left empty-handed when we get there. And that, that makes sense to all of us. But in the sense of how we make decisions and live today, a lot harder thing to do. Yet, it is a discipline, and it is that. It is a discipline that over time will pay out tremendous rewards. Over time, we'll pay out a tremendous amount of growth, a tremendous amount of fulfillment, and a tremendous amount of direction in our seeing God at work ahead of us. If we can look through an eternal lens, we can see him at work. If we're looking through this sense of immediacy that we see in our culture for the most part, um, it's hard to see. Um, this, is a, this is a difficult concept, again, in our culture because we are, we are compartmentalized. Most of us are. And we look, for, <clears throat> we look, I mean, we look for things to store things. Um, I couldn't believe that <clears throat> we went to, we were in Nashville not long ago to, I think for Hannah's graduation or something. And I was walking through the, the Green Hills mall there and, and there's a whole store just called, I think it's called the container store. And all it has is just boxes and plastic storage things and things to put things in. And we buy houses. Many people make decisions on houses based on closet space. Many people make decisions about cars based on trunk space. We look for things to put our stuff and store our stuff in, and so that we're, and it's that's why it makes it, as I say, much harder to look through an eternal lens at a culture that is that is gathering for here and now, gathering to use now or to use next week or next month, or, and so to, to shift our mindset toward, and as I say, looking through an eternal lens. I use that phrase a lot, but I think that's what he, that's the best way I know how to describe it to you is to say. Does this today matter for there? Does this today matter for there? Does this meal with this person matter for eternity? Have I, have I said or done anything today? Filter it through a day if you want to. Have I said or done anything today that matters for eternity or that will? I've been a pastor for 20-something years, and it embarrasses me how many days I have to say no to that question. That little, little to nothing of what I've done today will matter for eternity. That's, a, that's an indicting truth that each of us, and I think a valid question that each of us need to ask, and that is, um, is, it, is life more than just about what's going on here in this situation for me? The answer is yes, it is. Do I see that, and do I move on it is the question. So it's a matter of where we're looking. It's not only a matter of where we're looking, it's a matter of what we're seeing. Look at 22 to 23. The lamp is, or the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great 
is that darkness. What does he mean by darkness and light here in this verse? Well, I think to get to the truth of that, we need to see what he means by healthy and unhealthy. And depending on your translation, you may your translation may say good or bad or good or evil. Now, literally in the, in the Greek text, this idea of healthy is defined generous. And this idea of unhealthy is defined stingy. So looking through or, or with that knowledge, this idea of our, of our walking in, a, in, a, in, a, in darkness and in light has to do with whether we are generous or whether we are stingy with not only just money. I mean, our, our immediate thought goes to money, and that's what he's dealing with here in, this, in these few verses. But with beyond treasure, our time and our talent. Are we stingy with those things or are we generous with those things? In essence, and he says here that, that darkness and light are compared to, to healthy and unhealthy in the sense that are our, are our motives, is our mind others focused or is it focused on me and mine? Is, it focused, is my life a filter through which God blesses to give, blesses to share, blesses to engage, blesses to know more deeply, or is it just about me? Are the things he's blessed my, my life and my family with just about me? Um, it's, again, in our compartmentalized culture that seeks stuff and seeks even storage for more stuff, it's hard lens to look through. It's a hard lens to see, that, to say, is my thinking healthy? In, as he defines healthy, is my thinking healthy in this regard or, or unhealthy? Is it generous? And in, in essence, is my focus about others? Or is it stingy? In essence, is my focus about me? And we are, we are in a me culture, if there ever was one. Thirdly, focus is a matter of who we're serving. Look at verse 24. No one can be loyal to, do, to serve to, to two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot faithfully serve both God and money. Um, and the word for money here in, in the original Greek is anything man-made. Anything man has said this has value beyond what God says has value. But the real question here is, in this, in this verse is, are our desires ours or his for us? Are we desiring the things he desires for us, or are we des- desiring the things we want? Um, our loyalty, he says in this verse, or in essence, our fa- your, your, your translation may say faithfulness. You can't be faithful to two masters. Our loyalness or our or loyalty or our faithfulness can't be divided. He says we're going to serve one or we're going to serve the other. Now, if you don't think he takes this seriously, if you have your Bible, turn to or if you have a, a full Bible, unlike me, um, turn to Exodus chapter 20. And I want you to see the first two commandments that are there and see what he says about that. He first of all says, you shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number one in, in verse 3 of Exodus 20. Now look at this next commandment and the detail with which um, in these next two, two verses, the detail in which he spells this out. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Watch this now. Punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. You hear that, dads? Punishing the children to the fourth generation for our own sin, for our own disobedience, for our own idleness, idolatry. Those who hate me to, uh, to the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. You think that's something he doesn't take seriously? Our... <clears throat> Our sense of what we value, our self-defined treasure, he hates. 
I don't know how to put it more clearly than that. That's how he, how, he paint, how he paints it in Exodus. He hates to the extent of making our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren pay for it. Boy, that should be a sobering thought to every dad in this room, for every person in this room. But it should be a sobering thought to think, whoa, my sense of selfishness, my own kids are going to pay, my own grandkids are going to pay for it. Absolutely, that's what he says. So how important is it for us to look through an eternal lens and treasure the things he treasures? Not through this carnal lens uh, that we see. Where we're looking, what we're seeing, who we're serving. Fulfillment is a matter, first of all, as we, as we look in these verses to follow, full, fulfillment is a matter of dependence. It's a matter of dependence. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, are you not much more valuable than they? In essence, he's saying here, a bird is totally dependent on what our culture would say, nature, or mother nature. He's saying in this verse, a bird is totally dependent on God for everything they have. For food, for, for shelter, for warmth, for whatever. They're totally dependent on God in, in, in a culture that, that, that exalts independence above most things. He's saying here, dependence on me is the key. Dependence on me, is the, total dependence on me is the key to fulfillment. Now, as I said earlier, You'll never see that in our culture. You'll never see it across in, in any magazine, across any television program, in any movie you go see, in any article you read, most books you read. You'll never see a sense of dependence is the, is the very thing that liberates you to fulfillment. Yet in this verse, that's exactly what he's saying. You want fulfillment? You want to live worry-free? Depend totally on me. Give me all your worries and all your cares. Um, he knows that each of us are wired, and he's wired us because he knows us best. He knows us best because he's wired us. Each of us are wired to find security in authority. You don't believe that? Watch any kid that goes to, well, any kid in any home, but any kid that goes to daycare, any, any kid that acts out. Most kids who, acts, who, act, who act out, <clears throat> don't try this at home. Most kids who act out in, in a public place or in a, in a whatever, a Mother's Day Out program, you fill in the blank, are doing, are doing that very thing to say, is there any authority above me in this room? And when they find out that there is or there isn't, they'll continue to act out if there isn't. When they find out that there is, that kid, though they, they may push back against it initially, is, great, is greatly comforted to know that somebody's in charge. Somebody besides me is in charge. There's a greater authority in this room than me. You and I, even as, an, as adults, um, there is, those of you who've lost parents, you know this feeling. Even if you lose your parent as an adult in your whatever, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, there's a sense that you didn't lose a buddy. You know, you, some of you may have lost friends. But when you lose a parent, there's this sense that, whoa. Nobody, I can't go to anybody to tell me, yeah, you should do this or shouldn't do that. There's no real earthly authority anymore. Now it's me, and I'm totally dependent on God for all. And you get this sense, most people do, in, in losing a parent that, wow, who's in charge now? <laughs> what, 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 what am I going to do now if there's a question that comes? Who's in charge? And the answer to that, he's saying in these verses, I am, I always have been, I always will be. And the quicker we get with that and understand that, there is great security in that authority, and when we have total dependence on him, there is incredible freedom and incredible fulfillment that follows that. Secondly, fulfillment is 
a matter of definition. Look in verses 31 and 32 with me. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. What he's doing here is, in these verses is defining the difference between want and need. Your heavenly Father knows the things you need, yet the pagans ch- chase after the things they want. What will we wear? Where, where will we live? What will we... He says the pagans chased after those things, and the Father knows he is the great definer between want and need. If you and I are still struggling with those kind of things, he's saying, I'm the one to come to. I know you better than you know yourself. In fact, back up in verse 8, we talked a couple of weeks ago here um, about prayer, and that's, this, this verse is in the context of prayer, but he says here in verse 8, don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need even before you ask him. Knows every need you have. And so is not the one who knows every need we have the best one to fulfill every, everything we need? Um, and shouldn't we be allowing him to define it instead of the pagans? And we don't. We don't in our culture. We don't do a very good job as believers. Heck, we don't do a very good job in church, for the most part, of defining want and need very well. He does that extremely well. How? By his word, by his spirit. He's saying, if you'll let me define the difference between want and need, You'll find a great deal of fulfillment in that. And as I'm giving you definition, it's going to liberate you from having to make those decisions yourself. Let me help you define it. Thirdly, fulfillment is a matter not only of dependence and definition, it's a matter of destiny. Look in 33 and 34. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Um, in this idea of destiny, and in fact, anytime I hear the word destiny, you may be like me. I go to Forrest Gump and I see Forrest beside his mother's bed and, and she's about to die of cancer. And she tells him it was, it was my destiny to be your mother. I was destined to be your mother. And he's looking there on her deathbed and said, mama, what's my destiny going to his authority there. And saying, Mama, what's my destiny? And she says, Forrest, you're going to have to figure that out for yourself. You're going to have to figure your own destiny out for yourself. And in his word, and through, in, in fact, in the context of what we're looking at today in the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, I am your destiny. I am your destiny. Consequently, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Don't be, don't be worried about tomorrow. Don't, don't, don't fret about tomorrow. In fact, don't even invest so much in tomorrow because I've got tomorrow. I've got your future. I am your destiny. I'm, I'm, I'm your future. Um, how do we do this? Well, he says in this verse, by seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. His kingdom alludes to his authority. That's what he means by that. His righteousness, what, what he's talking about here, alludes to his ways. If you'll be under my authority and seek my ways, how, how do we find that? By way of his spirit and his word again. If you'll be under my authority and walk in my ways, you'll not have any anxiety about tomorrow whatsoever. You'll know I've got tomorrow. I've got today. I had yesterday. I've got tomorrow. I've got next week. I've got all of that. So the sooner you see my authority in your life by way of my word, by way of my spirit, the sooner you seek my ways and apply them in your life by way of my word, by way of my spirit, the sooner you'll understand, I've got this. Now, that's hard for a new Christian to get. It's hard for an immature Christian to get. It's hard for a kid to get. But those of you and I who are old enough to have failed a few times and made some bad decisions and made some mistakes and reaped the anxiety that comes from those, great lessons there for us to learn 
if I see God's authority and if I walk in his ways. My destiny is laid out before me. In essence, he says, I've got all of this. There's nothing for you to worry about. Now, beyond this carpe diem idea of, of seizing today that he lays out in this verse, I think there's a real pivotal truth that's driven home here in the, in the context of this, this text about worry. Here's just an observation. You can agree or disagree. Worriers are always asking, what if? You ever notice that? What if this happens? What if somebody loses their job? What if we have to move? What if the kids are into that? What if, what if she actually marries this guy she's dating right now? What if, and we're always asking what if. Worriers are asking what if. And trying to plan for the worst what if that would happen. Trying to accommodate for that kind of thinking. Fulfilled, though, followers of him aren't asking what if. They're asking what's next. Because their anticipation of next being something that he's already got, of tomorrow being a place that he's already standing, has us totally cool with all of that. And the anxiety that typically comes with the what-if questions are now laid at his feet to say, you've got all of this or you don't. I'm putting it in your, it's in your basket. So I either fail or succeed based on you, not on me, not on my own plans, not on my own efforts, not on my own investment, not on my own 401K, not on my own deal. I, did, I can't do that on my own. I'm either trusting you or I'm not. And he says here that, to, to, to pull this idea of treasure back in, we can't stand one foot in one world and one foot in another world very effectively. If you ever tried to straddle a picket fence, you know what, how painful that is to, to have one foot on one side and one foot on the other side. He said you can't do that effectively. In essence, you're going to serve one, you're going to serve the other. And boy, isn't that where we find ourselves most of the time? Um, straddled between a culture that says the immediate, the now, the today is really what you need to focus your attention on. And Tomorrow, it'll take care of itself, yes, but, but focus on today and make sure the solutions for today are where they are. Make sure your treasure is poured into today because today is really what matters. And he said, no, you pour your treasure into, into tomorrow. You pour your treasure into the kingdom. You pour your treasure into place that you're investing into for the future, not for today. And that, that, that split between these two worlds is, is this battle where most of us find ourselves. And um, here's a couple of questions I want us to close with that kind of helps us see this in probably a little more clear and definitive ways. Question number one is, are our lives about acquisition or distribution? Now, each of us have to answer that personally. But are we about, it, and, and, and ask, ask your family, ask your kids, ask, ask close friends. They'll tell you, I mean, if they're honest with you, they'll tell you what they think. Is my life, does it resemble more acquisition or distribution? Now, what he's saying here in this idea of treasure and looking through an eternal lens is that my, my idea of life, my idea of treasure, if it's defined by Scripture, is more about distribution because it's more about others than it is me. It's more about what God wants to do through me to someone else than what he wants to do for me today. Two totally different concepts. Now, as I said, depending on earlier on the, on the home you came, you grew up in, how treasure was defined there, the kind of... Values and principles you learned or, or didn't and tried to figure out on your own, that's going to be a hard step for you to take. But a step I want to encourage you to take, that our life be about more about distribution than about acquisition. Here's the truth about that. If our lives start to be more about distribution than acquisition, the acquisition then totally is in his hands. 
It's not for us to acquire. Because if we're about distribution, the question comes, what, how am I going to have anything to distribute? And that's his worry, he says, not yours. He said, if your life is about distribution, if your life is a funnel instead of a reservoir, if I give to you to share with others, to, to invest, in, in, in invest in the kingdom, invest in kingdom things, if I give to you and your life becomes a funnel, you don't worry about getting it. I'll get it to you to give. If acquisition is in my hands and not yours, if, if you're about distribution, I'll give you plenty to distribute. But until your life is about distribution, if acquisition lines up with you, don't count on me to provide all of that. Well, that's, we find ourselves in our culture, many Christians even, chasing that very thing or, or trying to figure out, okay, should I have five million in life insurance and, or none or, or half million or what's, what's ungodly? What's too much preparation stored up for tomorrow? What's, and those are hard. I mean, those are decisions you have to make between you and your Lord. But what he's saying here is you can't, you can't have it both ways. We can't say, I've totally prepared for tomorrow, but I'm depending on God for tomorrow too. We can't totally say, I'm stepping away from the responsibility of, of securing my future and maybe even securing my today and leaving that in the Lord's hands and be over here about it and meddling in it at the same time. He said it's impossible to do. So, but the clearest way I, I think for us to define that is to, is to ask ourselves that probing question. Does my life resemble more distribution or acquisition? He's saying your distribution is what's of, of greater value. And as it pertains to this idea of worry, I would sum, sum, sum up the synopsis by asking this or asking all of us this question. Is he provider or is he not? Is he in charge or is he not? We can find great fulfillment, as I said earlier, in knowing that somebody else is in charge. We're all wired for that. If we know he's in charge, we know he's provider, what do we have really to worry about? What do we have to concern ourselves about? If we feel like, however, we're in charge, and it's our, do- it's our job to be provider, it's our job to make the decisions about provision for both today and tomorrow, then how do we, how do we grow away from and grow out of this sense of worry? They, those two can't coexist if we're in charge, then we're the one to worry about whether it makes it or not, whether it works or not, whether it's invested properly or not, whether we're making wise decisions, not just about money, as I said earlier, but about time, about talent. If we're the ones making all those decisions, we have great reason to worry. But if he's the one that's pulling those strings, opening those doors, closing them, making those calls, it's his worry. It's his worry, not ours. Now, these are great messages to, to share with people and say, okay, just leave and don't worry anymore. Everybody just don't worry anymore and everything will be okay. Life will work out. It isn't that easy, is it? You and I live in a world where the enemy wants to chew us up with worry. The enemy wants to chew us up with anxiety. The enemy wants to chew us up with, you can't make it. You can't do this. And in fact, you need more because of the fact that you can't make it. And you're not, you're not smart enough. You don't have it all together enough. You need, you need greater tools you need to surround yourself with more of this and more of these kinds of people and have this kind of... And we buy all of that, don't we? Because we think we're providing for our family well or we're, 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 we're making wise and sound decisions rather than saying, God, what do you want? I mean, can we just start with what you want? What do you want from me? And when I figure out and determine what you want from me, then the steps between where I am and what you want from me are all yours and not mine. It's my job to obey, not to orchestrate. When I see that and I get that, those steps to, to obedience are far easier than for me trying to say, okay, I'll take this part and I got this. You can have that over there, the church and, and sickness. 
and, and healing. You can have all that, all that important stuff that I can't do, but this, this part of life, I've got this managed over here, and we're doing pretty good. He says, no, you, you really can't do that. If you want to live worry-free, you want to live with a sense of fulfillment instead of a sense of anxiety. We've got to focus on things that matter. We've got to focus on treasure that matters and invest in it and move from this idea of, of our being in charge because worry is the only thing that comes from that. And it's, um, well, I'm not going to raise hands to ask how many people are on blood pressure medicine in the room or, or how many have family that are. Or there's a, I mean, I mean the, 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 the medical industry is going crazy because of anxiety, because of stress, because of worry. So many medications have popped up in the last probably 20, 25 years that basically are remedies to that very thing. High blood pressure, stress-related issues, and, and he's saying, you don't have to live this way. We really don't have to live this way. If you'll let me guide, you'll take your hands off and let me worry about not only tomorrow but today, I've got this, and either I've got it or I don't. You think you're in charge. You're not. You never were. But if you'll understand and acknowledge my authority in this, and let me have it. I've got it. I can do better than you can. We've got to take a step in that direction if worry's eating our lunch. I don't know if worry's eating your lunch or not. Most dads in the room aren't real big worriers for the most part. Some are. I'm not, that's not a blanket statement. Worry typically is, is, a, is a greater issue for females than it is for males. But dads, we're driving the ship in our home. We're either creating a climate where there's anxiety and whether everything rises and falls on us and mom, or we're not. We're either creating that kind of climate or we're creating a climate that says God's in charge. He's in charge of my job situation. He's in charge of our money. He's in charge of our food. He's in charge of our finances. He's in charge of our, of our home. He's in charge of our kids. He's in charge of our parenting. He's in charge of our friends. He's in charge of all, all of that. He's either got it all or he doesn't. We're either walking with him or we're not. And the worry that comes from not, we're paying for <laughs> Uh, both both physically and financially as we lay out money every month for, for medication to deal with it. Um, as I say, it's really easy to preach a message like this and send people out the door and say, don't worry anymore. But I'm going to tell you will, you, will you just ask the Lord to help you? T- if that's an issue for you, will you ask the Lord to help you take a step today? Just one step. Say, God, let me give this to you. I've been hanging on to this. Let me give that to you. I'm not worried about that anymore. You take that and let me see what you do with it. And test him. He's, he's capable. So let me see what you do with that. And, and I'll step by step start giving. What you'll find is step by step you'll start giving things away to him because he's, he's far better at it than we are. Always has been, always will be. Focus is a key to where, we, to, to where our treasure lies. And fulfillment is the antithesis of worry. And that's where we need to be seeking. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.